to uh, take a look at that. We're going to be over in Genesis chapter 29. We've been in Genesis quite a bit to the last month, between Wednesday and here on Sunday. But last week we were over at the cleansing of the temple. We saw that the situation in the temple became the new normal. It wasn't supposed to be that way. God did not intend it to be that way. The powers that be began to alter things so that around the, our month of March, they would uh, uh, have tables and sell things and do things in the temple, raise prices on, on stuff. And people had to be paying exorbitant prices for things they didn't have to pay so much for. And Jesus had seen this going on and not moved with emotion not move with just passion. He saw what was going on and he went in over the plan. He executed that plan and he knew what results were going to come. And he took them. He knew that some people were going to get real mad at him. And some people would be glad. But what I want you to see there is that this, just because we're in some things here now doesn't mean that it's, it's new. There have always been times when powers that be try to put things on other people that are that will not affect the powers that be, but will benefit them. And the people that it does take from are the ones that are subject to it. This is not the only occurrence in the Word of God this happens, but it's always helpful to know that it's happened before, and God has brought people through it, and He will bring us through it. Over in the 29th chapter of Genesis... This is the story that I was amazed that we haven't really gone over all that many times. I think maybe at least once in the time we've been doing outlines and stuff. We referred to it maybe a few times, but have not really gone into it in that much depth too often. So we're going to spend some time looking at this here as we continue our series on honor. Looking at the dishonor of envy. The dishonor of envy. Most times the people fall into envy. They are not aware of it. And they surely don't brag about it. There are a lot of things that people do uh, get into that are sinful, and they will even brag about some of those. But this one is not one that seems that people will do that with. So we're going to take a look at the story here and how this unfolds. So Jacob went on his journey. This is after he left the land, went off uh, fleeing from Esau. And came to the land of the people of the east, and he looked and saw a well in the field. And behold, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it, for out of that well they watered the flocks. A large stone was on the well's mouth. Now all the flocks would be gathered there, and they would roll the stone from the well's mouth, water the sheep, put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. And Jacob said to them, My brethren, where are you from? And they said, We are from Haran. Now, it may be that he's trying to ask them, where am I? Because he's been traveling. He's not been to this part of the world before. He's just been kind of walking. There is no GPS. There is no uh, place you can, you know, a 7-Eleven you can stop in and, and pick up a map so that you know where you are. So he may actually be wanting to ask, where am I? But doesn't want to come across that way. So he says, where y'all from? Because <laughs> if I can find out where you're from, I know where I am. So that may be what he's he's doing and inquiring this because he has real no no real concern about these particular people. He says, We're from Haran. Then he said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. So he said to them, Is he well? And they said, He is well. 
And look, his daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep. Then he said, look, it is still high day. It is not time for the cattle to be gathered around. Water the sheep and go feed them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and they have rolled the stone from the well's mouth that we water the sheep. Have you ever come upon a situation that you think you know better than the people that have been doing it for years? Have you ever been involved with that? Maybe somebody has done that to you. You've been doing something for years. This is the way that you do it. And somebody, newcomer, wants to come along and say, how come you don't do it that way? This is kind of what's going on here. Jacob has no idea why they do the things that they do, but he looks upon what they're doing and said, that's not right. This is not the time of day to have all the sheep laying around. You ought to come to the well, get them water, and then take them out where they can, they can uh, have some pasture. Now, over by the well, this is a very well walked about area, and this particular well is not a well that people go to to draw water. This particular well is out in the field, and this particular well is used for livestock. There is another well that is near here that they would go to, that the people would go to. It actually has steps to go up. And you would go up into that well, and that's where you would draw your water for your household. I don't know that the water was not good for human consumption. This is just how it was done. All the sheep would be around there. And, you know, sheep are messy. Other cattle, they're kind of messy. So we kept that all over here by this well. And so if you have all those livestock, all the sheep, all the, the different things coming, and you're going to water them all, well, they trample down everything that's there. So more than likely, what is around this well is nothing that they can eat. And when Jacob comes upon it, he sees them all laying around in a barren field. And, well, they're not eating anything. They ought to be eating by now. Why don't you get them watered and then take them on out to the place where they can eat? And um, they say, well, that's not quite how it's done here. We do things a little bit differently. We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and they have rolled the stone from the well's mouth. Now, what happens here is they, there's a cover. There's a big stone cover that is over this. And this stone cover served a couple of purposes. It kept uh, bad foreign matter from getting in. It kept uh, uh, the evaporation from happening. And so the thought is, because we're not told, we're, we're trying to figure out what, why, why is this thing done this way. The thought is that probably Laban controls the well. And he doesn't want anyone coming into the well until he knows about it. It may be that they don't want to take the cover off and risk more evaporation or less other stuff getting in. So they just want to take the cover off at one time. Don't know exactly what it is. Maybe the people that are subject to this don't like it either. But they want the water. So they come on over here to this particular well. And so they all bring their sheep and they're waiting. It seems that they're waiting for Rachel to come. Or for someone from Laban's family to come and to bring all of the uh, livestock that they have to water. And so uh, here they come. They're coming along. So uh, we'll be able to do this pretty soon. Verse 9. Now while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep. For she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother. And the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was his father's relative and that he was Rebekah's son. So she ran and told her father. Then it came to pass when Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him. 
Seems like in this family, they're always running to meet somebody. You know, if you go back in this couple of chapters, it always seems like, you know, Esau's running to meet somebody. Jacob's running to meet somebody. They're always running to meet somebody. They don't just walk up and say, hey, how you doing? Now, if we see you off there, we, we run to get there. That tells me they're a little bit more of an emotional bunch of men than some of the other men. Most of uh, men I know, you know, if they see you, hey, yeah. how you doing? <laughs> we don't run to meet, meet anybody. I'm not a runner in that way. Um, if I see somebody I know, I will walk up to see them, but I'm not running. I'll get, I'll get to you eventually. That's, that's okay. I guess some people, you know, they just like, they like instant gratification. Or they like gratification a little bit sooner. I like prolonged gratification. I'm, I'm weird that way. The longer I have to wait, the happier I am. It's just weird. You know, <laughs> My grandkids will come up and they say, I know what we got you for Christmas. Great. Don't tell me. I don't want to know. It's not Christmas yet. I want to, I want to find that out later. That's, that's one reason I always was a great secret keeper. Because a lot of times people, they, they get a secret and they can't wait to tell somebody because they, you know, they get a nice satisfaction of that. I don't. I get great satisfaction out of never telling any secret I know. I just get it. I just, sometimes people will say, all right, now I gotta tell you this, but please don't tell anybody. I said, believe me, I won't. <laughs> I'm not saying a word. Until you say something, I'm not saying anything, and then they still won't know that I knew. I just, I, I'm just built that, I, I just don't get that same, I get more happiness out of no one knowing that I knew. But I don't think that's this family. This family just seems to be a little bit different. And so they see each other way off and they start running after each other. And uh, hugging on each other and, and doing, doing that sort of stuff. So this is what's, what's going on here. So uh, we left, left all 13. Then it came to pass when Laban heard the report about Jacob, his son's sister. He ran to meet him, embraced him, kissed him, and brought him to his, to his house. So he told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh, and he stayed with him for a month. Now during that month, things happened that we do not know. We are not told anything that happens inside that month. We pick up the story after the month is done. But understand, we've got a whole month, and he's been living in the house. And he's been watching what's going on. More than likely... He has gotten himself involved in the house. He's been doing some things. He's, he sees what needs to be doing, going on, and he's, uh, he's out there taking care of it. He's probably starting to take some of the sheep over to the well. You know, Rachel, don't worry about it. I got this. And he's going to take the, the sheep over. Uh, I can, obviously I can take care of the lid. I took care of it by myself the other day. So he's getting involved and, and Laban sees, well, he's staying here getting kind of involved you know what the guy kind of he's kind of useful it's kind of helpful to have around uh let's see if we can make this stick around for a little while then laban said to jacob because you are my relative should you therefore serve me for nothing so he's been working over the month he didn't uh, just hang out there can you imagine maybe nobody, nobody here probably can imagine this but can you imagine having a relative come over to your house to stay and do Absolutely nothing. (laughs) 
I mean, they don't wash a dish. They don't help clean up. They don't mow the yard. Nothing. And then you start making some, you know, some comments. Well, I'm kind of tired from a long day at work, but I'm going to go out and mow the lawn. All right, we'll see you later. <laughs> it is hot out there. Take some water with you. That doesn't make you feel all that happy. But have you been around with some, some people who stayed in your house, stayed with you, but didn't seem to want to help? Now, he's Laban's got the opposite problem. We've got somebody who stayed here in the house, and he's getting so involved, I feel like we've got to put him on staff. He's just doing a whole lot of stuff here. And so he says to him, should you serve me for nothing? Now, if he is helping out, he's not just finding busy work. He's doing stuff that they see value in. You don't pay someone to do something that you don't see value in. He wants to pay him for what he's doing. That's his idea. It wasn't, it wasn't Jacob's. It was his idea. So obviously, whatever Jacob has done in this month has made the household work better. And he likes having them around. Tell me, what should your wages be? Boy, wouldn't you like that? Well, can you imagine if you, you went to work for a company and they said, tell me what you want to get paid? So he says, you tell me what your wages ought to be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Now this is not telling you, as some people have surmised, that Leah is ugly. Do not get the idea that Leah is ugly. It says that her eyes are delicate. I've looked that up in all sorts of manner of, of ways. And people are all over the board on this, what this word means. It just means that her best feature is not her eyes. It's, I mean, eyes, they're, they can be very, very beautiful in a person. People on, um, men can have attractive eyes. Women can have attractive eyes. And they can also be those people that, that don't. Leah seems to be one of those that doesn't. But it doesn't call her ugly. However, she has not been married for a long time. So, neither one of them have. Now, a lot of times people take this and they say, well, I mean, Rachel, she's gorgeous. She is just a knockout. She is gorgeous. Leah, not so much. She's the ugly duckling, the ugly sister. That's not exactly the way the... I'm not saying it didn't happen that way. I'm saying that's not exactly what the Bible is saying. What the Bible is saying is that her eyes were weak, but Rachel, man, she her figure was nice. She was attractive. She had a pretty face. She had nice eyes. It, it just puts, built a very nice, nice picture that way. If you have someone in the land who is gorgeous, who is attractive... And not married. What does that tell you? Now, I, I didn't have this my, myself. There, uh, I, I know people that had these kind of stories. But uh, sometimes guys, they would tell they would tell stories to other guys. You know, they went out with us. She, oh, she was such a such a beautiful woman. We went out to to dinner, and then she opened her mouth, and I couldn't wait for dinner to be over. And then they left and, and that was it. Just whatever it was, they were rude, they were obnoxious, they were unkind, they were uh, selfish. And, and I never had that problem because I never dated somebody without uh, getting to know them a little bit first. And so sometimes when you find out, oh man, there's no way 
I am hanging out with that person. No, no way. Mm-mm. I mean, they may, they may be attractive, but uh-uh. And it, uh, I just would, I would stay away. But he's been there a month. If you're there a month living with somebody, you get to see the good qualities, you get to see the bad qualities. And he just decided that, I, I love this gal. She is just something. And I'm sure that Laban has seen this because he's her father. I mean, as a father, it is in your DNA to detect any male predator out there. Any of them, right? And when the daughter comes along, you know, we got that shirt. I got a, uh, a shotgun, a shovel, and an alibi. Yeah. Yeah. We're ready. <laughs> I got one of them shirts. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, you better be careful what you're, what you're doing. And so he had to have seen this. And maybe in the back of his mind, he's thinking, I bet he wants to marry her. He's, the boy's got nothing. The boy is flat broke. He came in, he came all the way out here with a bag. He's got no land. He's got no car. He's got no cattle. Doesn't even have a horse. He's got nothing. That boy has got absolutely nothing to give me for my daughter. And he probably, knowing Laban, he probably wants to get something for his daughter. Got two of these daughters, been hanging around here in the house for a while. Like to get them married off. Get some grandkids in the way. So he may have noticed this, and so he may be thinking, I think we'll have to wait to get to heaven to find this out, but I'm pretty sure Laban's thinking this. I bet he wants to marry her. And I'll bet you I can get some labor out of this. And so he's, I think he's already got it in his mind what he's going to do. So he's got the two daughters. Now Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. Now this verse, I will tell you, when I meditate on this, ponder this, think about this for a little while, it does puzzle me a little bit. Because Laban is a negotiator. And he doesn't negotiate here. Jacob comes in and says, right off the bat, seven years. What? You think my daughter's only worth seven years? What kind of man are you? I thought you loved her. Maybe he was thinking that his daughter's only worth three years. Oh man, I got seven. And so maybe he jumped on it. I don't know. We have to wait till we get to heaven to find that out. But he seemed like he jumps on this awfully quick. Which if he, if he does jump on this kind of quick, that kind of tells you some things that makes the rest of the story make some sense. Laban does not have the best relationship with his daughters. And does not think as highly of them as probably he should. They are aware. We'll show you some other things in the story that will tell you. They are aware that their father does not think the most of them. Why aren't you all married? What is wrong with you? Can you see him saying this? I mean, not most fathers, but the way Laban is. 
Why is it you can't keep any guy who comes over to try and court you? What is it you're doing? Why are you driving all the guys away? I'm sure some things like this have probably come out. And so he may not even think that there were seven years, but he agrees to seven years. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laman, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go into her. You may not have seen this when you read this passage over before, but you tell me if this is not here. Jacob is counting the days. He's counting the days for either one or two reasons, or maybe both. One, he can't wait to be married to her. Two, he's had seven years to watch Laban and he doesn't trust him. I've seen Laban shortchange deals with other people. Maybe even he and Rachel talked about it. You know he's going to try and push this off. As soon as we hit that seven years, I'm in his office. I'm telling him, my days are completed. It's time. Now. So he didn't let Laban do it. Laban is not the one who came up to him and said, hey, your seven years is up. He came up to him. Give me my wife for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her. I don't know that you would you would say this this way if you were the son-in-law to be. But this is what he does. So I think he's doing a little rougher with Laban because he's seen how Laban is. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah's daughter and brought her to Jacob. And he went into her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpha to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said, Laban, what is this that you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, it must not be done so in our country to give you the younger before the firstborn fulfill her week. We will give you this one also for the service which you will serve me for still another seven years. So he didn't just get seven years out of it. He got 14 now, I know people are always picking on Jacob. How come he didn't know? But in this part of the country, when the woman was brought to the man, she was completely covered in a veil. It's going to be at nighttime. They don't have a whole lot of uh, flashlights and, uh, and kind of lights like, like that. So it is, it is dark. But this tells you something about this story that may not jump out at you right away. But when I tell you this, you will know without a doubt this is so. Leah is complicit in the deception. Rachel has no idea. But Laban's father comes to her, Leah, we're going to get you married yet. Now here's the plan. I'm going to tell him this and I'm going to put you in in the wedding night and then he can't back out of it. Now, this is what you got to do. If he calls out your name, you got to answer Right? If he says anything to you, you have to answer as Rachel. We try and keep your mouth shut because we don't want him to hear your voice. If he hears your voice instead of Rachel's voice, it's going to be all over. And then you're going to be his, his wife. Now, this may tell you some other stuff, stuff too about this. Leah, over the time that he's been there, has developed feelings for him. Now, can you imagine a situation in a household 
where two sisters like the same guy. Can you imagine the things that are going to go on between the sisters? Do you think, as a sister, my wife tells me very often that I am totally oblivious to anything that goes on in this area. For from what I understand, women are pretty keen, uh, keen on it. Women, can you tell if another gal is making eyes at your husband? Uh-huh. Don't you think you could tell if your sister was? So, if this is going on, and Rachel knows that Leah has a thing for her husband, and she said, I can't wait till we get to the wedding, wedding night. Now, here's something that's not in the story. We'll have to wait to get to heaven to find out. I, I, I don't know what to tell you on this one. On the wedding night, who's supposed to be in with the husband? Who is? Where's Rachel? Where would you be on your wedding night? Would you forget? Oh, was that tonight? Oh, I didn't know. Ha, silly me. So what's this mean? Doesn't this mean that someone had to put Rachel in a place where she could not be heard and could not get out? Who's going to do that? Got to be the dad, isn't it? So the dad in this whole thing to get seven more years of labor out of him locks up his daughter Rachel on the wedding night puts Lee in there gets Lee involved in the whole thing and this is how he has started off his daughters with marriage. They now may have disliked each other before. They may have had tension coming in for all the years that the battle was going on. Leah kind of likes, likes Jacob, but Rachel has him. And then she's locked up in a room somewhere for an entire night knowing that Leah is now with her husband. What's that going to do to you on the inside? You think you had bitter rivalry before? What do you got now? These two ladies are really mad with each other. They are angry. They got all the wrong feelings going on. And Jacob has no idea until the next day. And now he knows we got trouble. We got some big trouble. And then Rachel is probably brought out from where it was that she was at. How do you, how would you feel if you were Jacob to your father-in-law if he just locked up your wife? I mean, you're already not real happy with him for what, but he's locked up your wife. Can you see all the hostility that is in here? It's not in scripture, is it? But it has to be there. Rachel didn't forget. Oh. This is how we started off. Now Leah to agree to this, knowing that she's going to be married to a man, her sister is going to hate her, despise her, and she has to live in the house the rest of her years. 
How desperate was Leah to get married? Hmm. Verse 28. So well, he says, fulfill her week. So honeymoon for a week. After this, you can have Rachel. And he got Rachel right away and then worked for the next seven years. Now he's got two wives that hate each other in the same house. Then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. So he gave him his daughter Rachel, his wife also. And Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. And then Jacob also went into Rachel and he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years. Fourteen years of labor. Doesn't get paid. All he gets is two women that now hate each other. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction, now therefore my husband will love me. <laughs> my husband will love me now. I think I put this in your outline. If not, I meant to. People will always look at their situation and see the hand of God in it any way that they want. It doesn't matter if it's right. It doesn't matter if it's wrong. It doesn't matter if it has scripture. All that matters is, that's what I want to believe. I do not know, and as far as I know with my God, this is not what my God would be doing. And God did not say, well, just for that, since Rachel, you get the love of your husband, and Leah, you don't, I'm going to let you have kids and not you. Does that sound like your God? But that's how they saw him, and that's how they passed the story down. So Leah says, she called his name Reuben, for the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. I gave him a son. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. Well, the first one, she said, My husband's going to love me now. That didn't happen. Can you imagine expecting something to come from having the son and it didn't happen? Oh, that surely never happens to anybody here. That, not that you did something, that you went in a direction and expected certain results. And it didn't happen. So she has another son. Called his name Simeon. Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved. He has therefore given me this son also. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. People have more reasons for why they start praising God. Usually they're not the good ones. You should praise God because you love God. Because he's your, he's your Savior. That's it. But too many times we fall into the thing where we praise God because things are going good. We praise God because I understand how life is unfolding. I praise God because I can see something ahead and I think God is bringing that to me. And as long as we keep praising Him for these things... The enemy can manipulate us any which way that he wants. 
Then she stopped bearing. Why? Well, I guess God must have seen it's not doing any good. Right? Now, here's the thing. Rachel has what Leah envies. And she becomes jealous of her. Leah has what Rachel envies. And she becomes jealous of her. Can you see this situation here? Rachel has the love of the husband, but no kids. So what's she want? What's she focused on? What I don't have. This is what Christians do. We focus on what we don't have. Non-Christians too, just people in general, they just do this, but Christians shouldn't. We focus on what I don't have. And if I could just have that thing that I don't have, I will praise the Lord. I will be glad. My life will be fulfilled. So Leah's over here, if I only had the love of my husband, and Rachel has the love of her husband, but it's not fulfilling her. Rachel wants kids, specifically sons. Leah has them. But they're not fulfilling Leah. But Rachel says, if I just had what she had, I'd be happy. I don't have what she has. And Leah says, if I just had what you had, I'd be happy. Ooh, can you see how we can fall into this? If I only had that gift that that person has, if I only had that favor that that person has, if God had only blessed me with the money that that person has, if God had only blessed me with a job that that person has, I, I wish God would have blessed me with the car that that person has. Oh, then I'd be happy. Instead, I got that thing. The enemy is always trying to get us unsatisfied with what we have. No matter what it is. Leah is convinced that the blessing of more children will bring her what she wants. She gets more kids and it doesn't bring her what she wants. Verse 1, chapter 30. Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. (laughs) This is your fault. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know how it could be his fault, but this is your fault. Give me children or else I die. Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel and he said, I am in the place... Am I in the place of God who has withheld you from you the fruit of the womb? Oh my. The things that we do, huh? Rachel is mad with her husband. He loves her. She's mad with him. And now she sees it's his fault. You look at other aspects of the story and you have to wonder how could it be his fault? I didn't sneak this in your outline but um, had uh, Daryl put it up on the screen if you want to write this down. People who don't walk in God's love will get angry for evil and corrupt reasons but not know it. People who don't walk in God's love will get angry for evil and corrupt reasons but not know it. Rachel is getting angry 
for reasons that are both evil and corrupt. They're based on envy and jealousy. Now, they started this marriage with two sisters really mad at each other, really angry, a lot of deception going on, and a lot of things were done by the father to the daughters that uh, really set that relationship off. And then, while they're married, they have the competition of who can have the most kids and who's loved the most. So this is not bringing them together. This is driving them further apart. Now, um, imagine this. You might have to, you know, really dream this thing up or do whatever you, you can do. But imagine being in a house with a very angry person. Can you imagine that? Anybody ever been in a house with a very angry person before? It makes life unpleasant, doesn't it? Now imagine that that very angry person is angry at someone else in the house. And you're home with that person and the relationship is, is certain, it goes a certain way and then all of a sudden another person comes in the door. Jacob is in the house. Rachel, he's him ha- having a good conversation and then Leah walks in. What happens? What happens if you're Rachel? Uh, can you imagine the glare? Whatever conversation you were having, whatever pleasant things were going on, it's gone. It's gone. And Jacob sees, oh man, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> can you see that, Jacob? You know what? Um, I forgot to do something with the sheep. <laughs> and he's gone. I don't need to be around this tension. Now, the the only thing worse than Rachel and Leah being in the same house with Jacob is Rachel and Leah being in the same house without Jacob. How nasty can two women be with each other when there's no one to stop them? This is their house. This is their life for all these years. This is what goes on. Year after year after year. The tension just keeps building. Both of them think they're right. My husband ought to give me children. My husband ought to give me love. Our house is incomplete because my husband is not doing something. They're both wrong. But they don't know it. Now, on that day, it was a great reproach upon a woman if she did not give her husband sons. Jacob, fortunately, he didn't take this blame on himself. He put it on God. He said, woman, <laughs> it's not me that you got a problem with. So he said, here is my maid. So she said, here is my maid, Bilhah. Go into her and she will bear a child on my knees that I also may have children by her. Then she gave him Bilhah, her maid, as wife. And Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Rachel said, God has judged my case and he has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. And Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, With great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Nephtali. Now, now picture this. We're, we're giving you, this is what God, this is how God views this. Do you think so? Is anyone here, does anyone think that's how God views this situation? 
Look at her, look at her conclusions. God has judged my case in verse 6. He's also heard my voice and given me a son. Did she get, did God give her a son? No. He gave it to Bilhah. Verse 8, with great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister. See, this is what's been going on in the household. And indeed I have prevailed. I won. <laughs> Yes, sir, I outsmarted that. She thought she'd get the better of me. Nuh-uh, now I got his love and I got sons. Yeah, try that one out. You can see God in that, can't you? What kind of a situation has to go on? Think about this one. What kind of situation has to go on where a woman says, in order to make my life better... I need to give my husband another woman. When does that ever happen? I don't care what society you live in. Women are women and men are men. This is not, there is no way a normal woman would think the way my life will be better is if I give another woman to my husband. It's not enough that we have two. In the household. No, we gotta, we gotta go with the third one. What do you have to be thinking for that kind of stuff to go on? I wrote this in your outline. I'm pretty sure it's in there. Jealousy and envy will lead you to wrong understanding, conclusions, and feelings. <laughs> That's what it'll do. You have, you let that jealousy, you let that envy get on inside your life, and it will mess with your understanding. It will mess with the wisdom that you walk in and you will do stupid things. Expecting it to work. Verse 9. Now you all know the rest of the story, but if you were the devil, how would you make this situation worse? I mean, think about it. If you were the devil and you want to mess up this family, how would you make this situation worse? Bring in another woman. When Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob, his wife. And Leah's maid, Zilpah, bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, a troop comes. So she called his name Gad. And Leah's maid, Zilpah, bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, I am happy, for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher. Now, I don't know the exact timeline on here, but I imagine it's kind of something like this. Rachel gives her maid, she gets pregnant, maybe even has the kid. And then Leah says, uh-uh, you're not getting ahead of, we're going in with this too. And then the other maid comes in. And, uh, and here's Jacob over here. I mean, this is a man who feels completely out of control. He's already got two wives because it was a gift from his father-in-law. The gift that keeps on giving. More and more envy and jealousy and problems in the relationship. And then he gave them servants. Uh, and, you know, that's not uncommon. For that, that's something that they would do. And so now both of them are involved. And the wife comes in, you will do this. Because she's mad at them. She's blaming him for the situation. All right, here's how we're going to fix this. You're going to have my, my maid. And so he probably just feels trapped. And so, all right, this is going to make you happy. He didn't. 
And then the other one gets involved, Leah gets involved, and he just goes along with it. Some point you gotta just say, Jacob, put your foot down. Verse 14. Oh, this is, this is. You'd think it couldn't get worse, wouldn't you? Now Reuben went in the days of the wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. And Rachel said to, to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, it is a small matter that you have taken away my husband. Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, therefore, he will lie with you tonight for my son's mandrakes. When Jacob came in out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come in to me for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. <laughs> all right. Now, this may not all be real clear to you, but a mandrake to them. I'm not saying that this is what it is, but a mandrake to them was basically an aphrodisiac. And made the woman fertile. So when they find the mandrakes, she says, I need to have more kids. Therefore, I need to have the mandrakes. Not saying that there's any truth to this. I'm just saying this is what they believed. And so when she comes out to the sister that, remember, she hates her. They're rivals. They got this, all this stuff going on. And can you feel some of that in this conversation? So she comes to Leah and says, give me some of your son's mandrakes. I don't know. If you were Rachel and you wanted something that Leah had, wouldn't you at least be nice? No. Give me some of your other mandrakes. I'm not giving them to you. But you can buy them. They're for sale. Now this will tell you this, that Jacob spent most of the nights in Rachel's room. Not too many in Leah's. So when you understand why he got mad at her for blaming him, that's one of the reasons. This is not my doing. That's where he spent most of his time. So much so that Leah felt like I need to do something to get him to spend the night with me. Yeah, the Bible talks about this stuff, isn't it? So she comes out to meet Jacob in the field. She's all excited. You are mine tonight. I bought you. If you're Jacob, you got to say, I didn't know I was for sale. How come I don't get a say in this? So why is right here selling me? This is not right. Yeah, we see the jealousy and the envy between these two sisters. I mean, it pushed them to do things you would think you would never do. Now, in a bad sense, jealousy is a fear of being displaced by a rival in affection or favor. That's the definition I wrote down. In a bad sense, jealousy is a fear of being displaced by a rival in affection or favor. To be jealous is basically to be anxious, suspicious, or vigilant. Proverbs 27.4, anger is cruel and fury overwhelming. But who can stand before jealousy? In other words, it's saying it's even more powerful than anger and fury. Now, we sometimes use the word jealousy and envy interchangeably, but there is a difference between the two. Jealousy can be used in a good sense. The root of jealousy is zealous. It's the same word we get zeal or zealous. 
The word applies to God, saying that He is a jealous God, which means that He demands that we worship Him and worship Him alone. So jealousy is not always bad. It can be. But envy, you don't find envy ever used in a good sense. Now, jealousy and envy are usually kept concealed by the one they're working in. If I have jealousy, I, got, I know I got to keep this buried. I can't let people see that I'm jealous. You've all watched the movies. Are you jealous? No. <laughs> right? And then I always have a response. When somebody is in a relationship, are you jealous? No. Why? We always got to keep it concealed. Got to keep it quiet. Sometimes we can get jealous because another person seems to be getting involved in the relationship. At least we're not, not sure that they are, aren't sure they aren't. Sometimes work, sometimes sp- being spiritual, all these kind of things, they take the place of what's supposed to be going on in the relationship and the other spouse can get jealous of those things. I wrote this uh, quote down. I, don't, I didn't have room for it in your, in your outline, but it's from Jeremy Taylor. Many men profess to hate another. But no man owns envy as being an enmity or displeasure for no cause but another's goodness or felicity. Basically, it's saying this. It's one thing for somebody to stand up and say, I hate you. But you will not find too many people stand up and say, I am envious of you. I am envious of what you have. They will think it on the inside for good reasons. Always good reasons. If I had what that guy had, I would be doing this for God instead of squandering it like that person does. Uh, There's always good reasons why I should have it and they shouldn't. Envy is defined as a feeling of discontent and resentment aroused by another's desirable possessions or qualities accompanied by a strong desire to have them for oneself. A feeling of discontent and resentment aroused by another's desirable possessions or qualities accompanied by a strong desire to have them for oneself. Proverbs 14.30 says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. The enemy loves to get envy on the inside of you because it will rot you to the core and you will protect it from being to stay right where it is I have a right to feel this way it would be good if I would get this it would be good if other people stop doing this we feel righteous Leah feels perfectly righteous about demanding her husband's love Rachel feels perfectly righteous at demanding kids The feelings have their roots in covetousness, which God commands against. Brother Keith, could you get me a bulletin? No, I, do I have one? I, I do have one. All right. I meant to bring one on up here. I was listening. How many saw the uh, the link I put up this week? Brother Cruffo Dollar. Brother Cruffo, just just two people. That that it, there's a link I put up. If you didn't see it, go up there and get it. Uh, if you want to see the links church put up, I tell you this all the time. You have to go, you have to interact with it. 
The more you interact with the site, the more Facebook will say, you want to see it. And they will put the stuff on. I'm telling you, that's how, how it works. There's a, there's a guy I found, I found out about him um, some, somehow. And he, he does this, these tours through um, abandoned buildings. Oh, I love abandoned buildings. I, I love them. The more decrepit, falling apart they are, the more I desire to go through and to investigate every aspect of it. It's just, it's just in me. Nighttime, day, I don't care. I get a flashlight and go in at nighttime. Just love it. So this guy, he does these, he goes all over the world and he tours these abandoned places. And so I heard about him and I did a search on Facebook, found it, and he does these, these, these things. So I saw one. You know, as soon as I saw one, you know what I kept seeing every day? Three, four, five videos of his. Why? Because I pursued it. If you don't pursue it, Facebook thinks you don't want to see it. But anyway, I put this link up there for Brother Creflo Dollar. He was uh, speaking at, at um, the Believer's Voice of Victory 2021. He's one of the speakers. And he gave a wonderful, boy, I enjoyed it, on servanthood. And if you go up there and, and listen to that, but this quote came out. I'm pretty sure this quote came out of that. Covetousness turns our attention from God and places on anything of lesser value. Understand this, the enemy does not care what it is. Anything of lesser value. I think he worded that really well. It leads us to believe that we can be satisfied in creation apart from the Creator. Now, the rest of it was good too, but I loved that quote. I wrote that down. I said, I'm going to put that in the bulletin. Covetousness turns our attention from God and places it on anything of lesser value. It leads us to believe that we can be satisfied in creation apart from the Creator. Can you see what's going on with Leah? I think that those created things will satisfy me. Rachel, I think if I just had a few more kids, I would be satisfied. We're going to find our satisfaction in creation. You're not going to, you're not going to do it. All right, now this one. Gave you a lot of blanks because I didn't want you to, to jump ahead. To fall into these things, envy and jealousy, to fall into these things, one has to believe that God is limited in his ability to bless. If you are going to fall into envy and jealousy, you have got to first off believe that God is limited in what he can do to bless you. His supply is limited. The God who created so many universes, we cannot see them all. Or so many galaxies, we cannot see them all. Create stars just on whims. I mean, just, there's another star. There's another star. There's another star. Stars are just formed and created. He's got so much stuff that he can make earths no problem at all. And how much, how much riches are on the earth? Look at all the gold that's on the earth. Look at all the uh, precious things that are on the earth. And they're precious in heaven too. All over the earth. He just put them in there. That's just something he made. How is a God like that who takes riches and buries them? Why are we seeing him so limited? 
See, the, the enemy wants you to see you serve a limited God. He's always trying to sell you on that. That's one of the reasons it is in the devil's camp to pitch communism and socialism. That's why every time you see a socialistic or communist, every time, I am a history buff. I love history. Every time those two things surface, the devil is behind it. God has never been behind one of those. Never. Because they take away the rights of people, they abuse people, they put all the stuff into a few people's hands. And it's under the, under the gunction that there is not enough. There's only one pie. And you deserve to have a piece of that pie. And we're going to make sure that you get a piece of that pie. And what they don't tell you is, here's a piece for us. Here's a piece for you. So they don't take. That's not what God. See, God sees the pie pretty big. And if that's not enough, we'll make it bigger. What's he say to David? David, why don't you go after the other woman? If you didn't have enough, ask me. I got more. I got plenty. That's what God says about him. I got plenty of stuff. If you are dissatisfied with anything you have, ask me. That's it. Socialism and communism won't do that. And also, those two forms of government will eradicate God from it. Every single time. That's one of the things they have to do. They have to get rid of belief in God. So, to fall into these things, one has to believe that God is limited in his ability to bless, as well as the supply he blesses from, Therefore, God cannot bless all equally. Does Leah having kids have anything to do with how many kids Rachel can have? Is God up there? Rachel, I'm sorry. I only have so many kids to give out this year. And, and Leah's got them. I, I mean, if I had more, she, you, know, you know I love you. You know, if I had more, I'd give them to you. But I just, I just don't have any more to give. But isn't that kind of what the feeling that they have about God right now? I gotta do something to convince God to give me some more kids. And God listened to Leah. <laughs> Understand, this is how they view it. And God listened to Leah and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I have given my maid to my husband. Oh, yeah, I, said, I have been waiting to bless you, Leah. Waiting to bless you, but you've been stubborn not giving that woman to your husband. Is that God? No. But she thinks it is. How messed up do you have to be in your beliefs? So she called his name Issachar. Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me. In other words, he's going to stay in my room because I have borne him six, six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. She may have had other Dinah, uh, uh, daughters, but Dinah is involved in the story later on, and that's probably why they're just trying to show you where she was born. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. Oh, I forgot Rachel's here. <laughs> Guys, why didn't you remind me? I'm here working on Leah, and I 
totally forgot that, that Rachel was even here. Rachel, why didn't you say something? Is this God? No, it is not God. Then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. Now, when we're going through the, the um, Joseph series, back in the beginning, we spent a good bit on the timeline to show you how late Joseph was born. I am not going to spend time on that now because we spent a lot of time on it. And some people are going to say, why would you spend so much time? And I hope by the time we got through that, you, you understood. There's a reason for it. He's called a son of his old age. There's a whole lot of time that went on before Joseph was born. Now, there's more to this story. If you want to go and, and read it all, you, you certainly may. But most people interpret the events in their life the way they want. The way I want to see God's hand working. Now, jo- uh, Joseph is born and Rachel finally has a son. If you have been waiting all these years for a son and he finally comes, what would you be saying? Think about it this way. If you had a, a child and they've been waiting all, all the time, they've been growing up. I can't wait. I cannot. Oh, I'm so looking forward to turning 16 and getting the car. And, get, I'm, and they saved every bit of money that they had to get the car. They want a car. They're, they're saving for this car. And you saw how much they put into it. And so you helped them. And you contributed some stuff. Maybe you matched the funds they whatever it was. And so when they turned 16, they had the license. They're ready to go get a car. They went out and they got a car. You went out with them to get them a good deal. They got the car they wanted, a nice, beautiful car. Oh, it's gorgeous. They're so happy with this car. They bring it home. And out of the child's mouth, he says, I can't wait for my next one. I cannot wait until I have a second car. Why don't you enjoy this one? Wouldn't you say that as a, as a parent? Why don't you enjoy this one? Before you go off and start talking about the next one. But look at what she says. So she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. Alright, God, I've been waiting all these years for this one son. And now he's here. Uh, one more. Come on. I want another one. Not satisfied. She's been thinking all this time, if I had a son, I'd be satisfied. She gets the son once she, she's not satisfied. Isn't that funny? So you get these things going on inside of you. You may look like you're a worshiper. You may look like you're serving God, but you're not. There is probably a reason that Rachel and Leah were not married when they were younger. And the other guys probably do. Stay away from those two. You do not want to get involved with those two. Or that family. That family is messed up. I don't know what's going on with her dad. but mm. So she has been accusing, bitter, controlling, demanding. Now I had discontentedness. Now, later on in chapter 31, verse 19, you're going to see that she also demonstrates a lack of maturity. She stole her father's household goods and then lied to her father to cover it up. Now, Laban, you might be a surprise. This might be a real surprise to you. 
He did not just worship Jehovah. They had idols in the house. And so when Laban realized that they're missing, how does you, how do you know that something is missing in the house? You went to use it. Right? You got something in the house, you go to use it, you go where it usually is, and it's not there. Which means it's gone. And so he surmises that somebody from the party is taking it. So he was going to use the idol for whatever it was he was going to use it for. And it wasn't there for him to use. So he came to get it. Now what must Leah... Leah has been doing all this, trying to get her husband to love her. Has all these kids. And remember when when Laban leaves his, his father and the you know, the idols are stolen. She lies to the father. And in fact, let me take you back to something before that. You can go through and read this on your own if you want to. But do you remember when, when Jacob said, look, i got to get away from your dad. I, I need to go. Um, he just keeps changing the wages on me and we just need to take our stuff and we need to go. And they all say, it's fine with us. Why? Because they don't like their dad. That has done nothing good for them at all. You see all this stuff that was going on, so we're ready to roll. Let's just sneak out of here. We don't even need to say goodbye. What has to happen for a daughter to not even want to say goodbye to her father? Just try and get on out of here. Don't let, don't overlook that. She just, she, they just wanted to go. So they're going to meet Esau. And do you remember how Jacob arranged to meet Esau? He take the servant wives and he put them at the front with all their kids. If Esau's mad, y'all die first. <laughs> but we can escape. We're back over here. And then who does he put next? Leah. She's next. Who's at the, the back part the most protected? Rachel. You may have just glanced over that. And maybe just, well, you know, that's, uh, I guess Rachel's the favorite wife. But can you imagine me and Leah? What? <laughs> You're going to use me and all my boys to protect your precious wife? <laughs> hmm. Well... Now, I asked a question on this. I don't know if I slipped this in your outline or if I took it out. But I asked this question. If life had gone the way Jacob planned, he would have had one wife and a few children. If life had gone the way that Jacob wanted it to go, he would have married who? Rachel. Married Leah? No. No. Would he have had either of the servant wives? Nope. Maybe Rachel would, but according to Rachel, maybe it's, uh, well, I'll put it this way. Maybe Rachel with all that anger and bitterness and envy and such, such things in her kept her from having kids. Not God. Abraham, how many, I know he got remarried, but how many sons did he have with his wife of promise? 
with one. She had two kids. During that time, she did the same thing to have my servant. And so there were two involved there. But the promise came to who? Isaac. Isaac has how many kids? Two. The promise goes to... Now, we can't play this out any other way than the way it's in Scripture. But if we just were to play this out and remove Leah and the competition, how many kids does Rachel have? And if it follows the pattern, the blessing would go to one and not the other. As long as the blessing was on one person, what's the devil got to do to get rid of the blessing from the earth? Get rid of the one. We got to get rid of Abraham. That didn't work. All right, now we got to get, all we got to do is get rid of Isaac. That didn't work. All we got to do is get rid of Jacob. In the New Testament, the devil focused all his efforts, especially when you look at the picture that Revelation gives us, focused all his efforts on the one son of the woman, the Messiah. And when that didn't work, he went to all the descendants. But up till then, everything was focused on the one. If this plays out the way that Jacob has intends this to play out, he's got one wife and maybe two kids. The blessing would come upon the one. The enemy, the devil, has been coming after the one, Abraham. He came after the one Isaac. He came after the one Jacob. Tried to get his brother to kill him. And it didn't work. And he said all this envy jealousy, confusion into the family. God didn't send it. The enemy sent it. By doing this, I hope I showed you, God did not have a hand in this. The enemy did. Man's choices did. But in doing this, the blessing of Abraham came upon who? Twelve. They multiply. No longer is the blessing on one person. It's now on 12. And those 12 had kids. And then it went on to multiply. When Joseph pulls them out of Egypt, it says that 70 people came out. Now the devil's got a problem. <laughs> he sent something for the purpose of destruction. And God turned it into something good. God, God didn't create that. The enemy did. But God said, Devil, if you try and come against me, I will use what you sent me for good. Now you've got 12 to get rid of. And by the time that came about, we already they all have kids of their own. And now he has to come against the nation. Now, if that wasn't God's plan, I wonder what God's original plan was. It seems like man is always messing up with God's original plan and God has to have another plan. I wonder what the original plan would have been. Well, the devil inspired evil against him, brought in four wives instead of one, 
envy and jealousy came along with it. Now, envy and jealousy, these things will destroy you. They will hurt you. So we're not going to do you any good if we don't help to, to eliminate this. If envy and jealousy are to be avoided, we must discover and eliminate them. I took some things that were done by smarter people than me for symptoms of jealousy and envy. If you want to find out, do I have jealousy and envy in my life? Here's a list. I can concur with this list. I think this list is there. Are you overly consumed with looking good? Do you care how people look at you? How people view you? If you do, that's a sign that envy and jealousy have probably worked their way in. Do you examine others with a critical eye? If you examine other people with a critical eye, that's a symptom that you've allowed envy and jealousy into your life. Do you battle feelings of inferiority? If you battle feelings of inferiority, more than likely you have let envy and jealousy into your life because you are comparing yourself to someone else envious of what they have instead of it being on you. Do you complain about not getting fair treatment? Well, that means that you envy the treatment someone else got. And you're jealous of what it has brought into their life. Do you have an insatiable desire for success? I will be successful. I don't care who I got to step on. Now, if anybody wants this list and doesn't want to write it all down, I can text it out to you. If that makes you relax a little bit more. If you need a lot of recognition for your achievements. If you need people to come up and say, man, that was good. Oh, I saw that. Hmm. You might be letting envy and jealousy take part of your, your life. Do you find it hard to pay compliments to others? If that's so, it's because I don't want to build them up. I don't want them to feel good about what it is they have. Envy and jealousy are working inside you. You keep score of your own good deeds and those of others. Well, I did this, 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 and this. They only did this, 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 and this. Envy and jealousy are probably in your life. Are you willing to pass along negative rumors about a successful person? Oh. Be careful. That could mean envy and jealousy are in your life. Do you put on a false front in order to appear impressive? I don't care that people, I don't want people to see what's really inside. I'm going to put this front on because I know this will impress them. I know this will be something that they would want to see. And we put everything out there to put that false front on. Do you base your self-image on your performance? I'm sure the list could probably go on longer than that. But there's a, that's a good thing to be working with to discover, do I have this going on in my life? If you have to succumb to these, you are giving honor to something over God. You're giving honor to something over God. The Word of God tells us in James chapter 3, verse 13, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. 
This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Can you see how this is brought into Jacob's hustle? But the wisdom that is first from that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. See, that's the kind of walk you have without that envy and that jealousy. Now, like many emotions, envy is a symptom of other underlying issues that need to be resolved. How does envy get into my life? How does jealousy get into my life? First off, being overly concerned with personal rights. That that shouldn't happen to me. No one should do that to me. That's opening the door. It's kind of just like going, envy and jealousy, open door right here. Taking other people's success personally. I see somebody succeed and I take it personally. That should happen to me. Why am I never getting that? Desiring selfish gain. That opens the door for envy and jealousy to come in. Overly focused on status and achievement. Don't get overly focused. It's okay to be looking at it. I want to achieve. I want to you know, do better. But don't get overly focused on it. Because the devil can get you so overly focused on that that you lose sight of them, other people, being able to do well. An inability to share in the joy of others. If you see somebody get something good going on, inside, uh-uh, I am not happy for that person. Maybe outwardly I put up a false front and say, oh, that was so good. Inwardly when I go home, I'm so mad that they got that. That's opening the door to envy and a jealousy coming in. This is how you let, let it in. Shut the door. Keep these thoughts out. If you succumb to these feelings, if you succumb to envy and jealousy coming in, you are giving honor to something other than God. You have elevated anything out there at all in the place of God. Just like Leah did, just like Rachel did. They had other things that were elevated in their life above God. And yet they kept trying to pass everything off as God has done, God has blessed, God has it's wrong. If you allow envy and jealousy to get in, what you do in worship will never be genuine. It will always be a face, a, a, a false front. You just have the face of worship. You just have the face of doing things to honor God. Understand, this is, the, this is the situation that God brought the 12 tribes of Israel out of in this household. These kids grew up in this. If you ever wonder why Joseph's brothers were so messed up, this could be part of the reason right here. This leads us to wonder, Joseph, what did you do? How did you stay away from all of this stuff in the house? And maybe when he was taken into slavery, he thought, man, I am not around that anymore. Make sure you keep these things out. Because the devil will do this. He will get envy in you. You need to have this that you're missing. 
Your, your, your husband, your wife is keeping this from you. And that's why you're, you're not happy. And we're always putting a demand. The wife is putting a demand on the husband. You will give me children. Leah, you will love me. Always the demands. Husband begins to put demands on the wife. Because you see, envy and jealousy have gotten in. I'm not aware of it. But they've gotten in. And I start making demands of the people that are around me. You see, the thing with envy and jealousy is it makes you discontent with what you have. One of the things that Paul talks about in the New Testament is contentedness. And he even said, in all situations, I am content. I've been out in the deep water floating on a piece of wood and I'm content. I've been hungry for days and I'm content. I've been beaten with rods. I've been whipped. I've been in prison. And what's he say? I'm content. Well, that's Paul. You don't know what I live in. You don't know what situation I'm in. What I know is as long as I walk in envy and jealousy and discontentedness, I will be the source of wrong things in my house regardless of what anyone else does. It'd be just like one person in the house holding the back door wide open, yelling at the person holding the front door open, Hey, you're letting all the heat out! And then him hollering back, What do you mean me? You! You got the door open too! Yeah, but it's not coming in my way. It's coming in your way though. I can feel it. We just go back and forth on this sort of stuff. Now, you know what? Close the door that you have a handle on. And keep that out of your house. Jacob can't control what his wives are going to bring in. He couldn't control what his fathers did, what his father-in-law did to his wives. All he can do is take charge of what's in Jacob's hand. Rachel's got to stop putting everything else on everyone else. And Rachel's got to take care of what Rachel can do. What is your situation? Where has the devil been able to get envy and jealousy and discontentment in on your life? What has he got the door wide open for that he can just send anything into your marriage, into your family, into your job, into your relationship with God, into your worship? into your faith, whatever it might be. No matter what it is you build up that's good, that door is wide open and he will come in and take it right back out. Would you all stand up with me? This morning, I have communion. Before communion, we have a special number that we're going to have for us to enjoy. But remember when Jesus was up in the upper room with his disciples and he broke the bread with them. And the wine 
that was to represent the new, the new covenant of blood. When he did these things, he could have been looking around the room and he could have seen Judas. He could have seen Peter. He could have seen John. He could have seen Matthew. So many of them. And with each one of them, he could look at them and say, they're not what I need. I need them to be strong. They're not as strong as they need to be. I need them to be willing to stand up. They're not willing to stand up. I need them to be more faith people than they have been. He could look at them and say all sorts of things that they aren't yet. And he could be discontent. But he wasn't. No matter what is in your life or what is not in your life, discontentment is up to you. When you were little and somebody gave you a nickel, you were content. Now you find a nickel on the ground, you scoff at it. Not everybody I know, but... Don't let these things in. It's running after me. 
sing of the goodness of God, not of the lack that we have. God is able. The night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread. He said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. We're to do this in remembrance of him and what he gave for us. Our sickness, our disease has been put on his body. Let's eat together. Then after supper, he took the cup. He said, this represents the blood of the new covenant. No longer do we have sheep and goats. We don't need their blood. Jesus must have been thinking, this is the ultimate way to get rid of the tables in the temple. But he eliminated the need for all that. My blood is all that we need. Let's remember, don't add anything to it. Let's drink together. Father, I thank you for your love that you have for us. You are not limited in the blessings that you can pour out. You are not limited by anything but what we can think and imagine. And the envy, the envy that the devil wants to put in our life wants to try and tie up how much we can imagine our God can do. Help us to be able to weed out any of these things the devil has put in that we can shut the door of those things in our life. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 